Hey, I wanted to start this morning by sharing a quote with you guys that I read this week. Never think that you could do something in life if only you had different circumstances assigned to you. What we call hindrances, obstacles, disappointments are probably God's opportunities. I love that. And do you guys have that type of mindset or attitude as things, you know, take place in life, come in our way, hardships, trials, whatever we've been handed in this life, okay? How are we going to take this on? God, where are you in this? So nowhere, I think, guys, is this a better, you know, um, illustrated than in the life of Joseph, which we get to get into in depth uh, this morning. It's really illustrated well because on his journey through life, he gets splattered with what appears to be a disaster after disaster. But God's providence in Joseph's piety, okay, his responsibility really go hand in hand. And they turn, it's cool to see how God turns each tragedy into another stepping stone. He is growing along the way. So his life teaches us not to get down, okay, uh, over disappointments. How many guys have had a disappointment in the last week or two? Oh, welcome to life, <laughs> right? That's just a life, and I love that we can learn and glean from the scriptures what to do with disappointments because it is a part of life. So jo- uh, Joseph's topsy-turvy uh, circumstances really are a proof of what we were just taught by Paul in Romans eight twenty-eight. You guys remember that? That God works all things together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. How many of you guys believe that Joseph had a purpose from God? Absolutely. How many of you guys believe we all have a purpose from God? Absolutely. I'm glad you guys are reading the same book. That's what God's word tells us, right? So as I mentioned last time, as we're in Genesis here and looking at Joseph's journey, it's marked by four Ps. And you guys remember what those four P words were? He goes from the pit to where? Potiphar's house, right? Then to prison, and then he's going to go to the palace. So those are the four Ps that we're going to see laid out in Joseph's life here this morning. So here's a quote that describes Joseph's life. In duty, he was loyal. In temptation, he was strong. And in prison, he was faithful. I like that. So that's what we'll see today. So let's take a look at Genesis chapter 39 together. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Now I want us to remember together, guys, the story began with Joseph. He was thrown into a pit by his brothers. They were so jealous of the favoritism that their father had showed to him that they ended up selling him as a slave, um, these traders that were going down to Egypt. And then he dipped his fancy coat, you remember the coat of many colors, in lamb's blood, went back and told their dad, Jacob, hey, we believe some wild beasts came and killed your son, Joseph, okay? So imagine being 17 years old, Joseph being on this auction block at the slave market. He had never been away from his father's tents. Now he's in the Egyptian capital, and he's being pawed over and treated like a head of livestock here. And what does it go on to tell us? In Potiphar, the officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishlamites who had taken him down there. Now, I think it's neat because the name Potiphar means devoted to the sun, okay? And that is connected to Egyptian idolatry. And the word officer is translated, how many of you guys have it translated where it says eunuch, okay? It can be translated eunuch also. A eunuch was a male who was castrated. Most oriental kings, um, insisted that their highest officers were eunuchs. This assured no hinky-pinky with their uh, uh, members of the royal harem. So it's possible here, guys, that Potiphar was a eunuch, okay? And he was doing that in order to get ahead in his career. So the phrase that we read here, that he was the captain of the guard, could be translated chief of police, Okay, so Potiphar was probably the chief officer of Pharaoh's secret service or something like that. So when we put it all together, you guys get in the picture here? 
Okay, Joseph goes to work for this idol-worshipping Egyptian who holds this high-ranking post and who's totally sold out to climbing the corporate ladder. Okay, so that's the picture we have. Look at verse 2. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all he did prosper in his hand. Isn't that a cool verse? Okay, the Lord was with him. Do you guys know that God is with you? If you are his kid, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, been born again in the Spirit of God, he's promised never to leave you or forsake you. But I kind of feel like he's not with me right now. Well, guess what he is? Okay, don't go on your feelings. The truth is God is there. And I want you guys to notice the secret to Joseph's success. Underline this in your Bible. The Lord was with Joseph. That's why he was able to do all that he did. So even though he had been rejected by his own brothers, he's been treated cruelly, uprooted from his home, forced into slavery, Joseph refused okay, uh, to cop an attitude, okay? He, he could have soaked, he could have complained, he could have become bitter over his plight here, but he doesn't. What a good example. This is really what I have been taking away from studying the life of Joseph. This young man had a good, a right attitude. So he accepted his circumstances and he trusted in God. So he saw himself as a victor, and not a victim. So guys, how are you handling what you have been dealt? Look at verse 4. Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. And then he made him overseer of his house. And all that he had he put under his authority. So Potiphar promoted Joseph here, made him manager of all of his personal affairs. So it was from that time that he had made him overseer of the house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was in all that he had in the house and in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. So in other words, he was trusted completely. Joseph was trusted by Potiphar with everything he had. Verse 6, and Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So little Joe here was wise beyond his years. He was blessed by God, and he was also a hunk. Did you guys catch that? So his good looks caught the eye of Mrs. Potiphar, and it came to pass. After these things, that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. Man, this sounds like a soap opera. And, <laughs> and she said, lie with me. So Potiphania makes a pass, okay? She proposes here to Joseph, hey, let's have sex. Uh, guys, I want you to remember verse 1. Potiphar was said to be an officer, of Pharaoh, a captain of the guard, and as we discussed, the possibility of him being a eunuch. So probably putting his career in front of his wife. And guys, that's always a mistake. We do not do that, okay? When you stop caring for your wife and begin to neglect her needs, you tempt her to go somewhere else. So don't become an emotional eunuch to your wife. And Potiphar's ambitions slighted his wife. She's unhappy. She's unsatisfied. And now this hunk of a man is taken over as the man of the house. Hey, why not go all the way? But notice Joseph's response, verse 8. But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in the house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness in sin against God? Today, guys, we live in a world that loves to rationalize everything, doesn't it? Guys, 
we've redefined our terms. It's no longer called adultery, is it? It's an affair. We can't even call what it is. Adultery. Marriage. Marriages are open. Have you guys heard of open marriages? Divorces are creative. Adulterers are significant others. J. Allen Peterson describes how we've glamorized this adultery. He says this, affair, what a nice sounding, almost inviting word wrapped in mystery, fascination, and excitement. A relationship, not sin. One psychologist has coined the term he calls healthy adultery. Don't go to that guy. (laughs) Guys, there's millions hurting, bleeding hearts who would testify that there's nothing healthy about adultery. Nothing. I want you guys to listen to a victim of adultery. She wrote into Ann Landers years ago. How many guys have read Ann Landers in the past? All right. Uh, She said, my husband and I have been married for 30 years. I was a virgin bride and have been a faithful wife. A young woman, our daughter's age, came on to him and took him or took her to bed. He was so guilt-ridden and miserable that he told me about it the next day. I forgave him, did not mention it to a soul, and he never saw her again. He believes no harm was done. She thinks no harm was done, but she destroyed me. I'm unable to grow old gracefully. I cry for hours when I am alone. Adultery is sin, guys. And sin always destroys. You see, a bond between two souls has been violently torn apart. So trust between Her and her husband had been shattered. The secrecy and privacy of the relationship had been violated. Their bed had been invaded. She's uh, she's injured, and adultery does that. So this woman's heartbreak, it is tragic, but adultery is not just sin against your spouse. I want you guys to notice what Joseph says. How can I do this great wickedness in sin against who? God, okay? So your marital vows are a vow to God, not just your mates, okay? That's why when we go to a wedding, we take it serious when we hear that guy and that gal make vows together before God because when one of them ends up doing something dumb or heading in the wrong direction in their marriage on faithfulness or whatever it might be, hey, I was there. I remember when you vowed before God that you were going to love and cherish that you were going to take care of one another until death do you part. I was there. What are you doing? You're not just sinning against your spouse. You're also sinning against God. You made that vow to God. So, uh, you guys know that sex carries heavy spiritual overtones, okay? It's sacred, and it's sacred, guys, because it speaks of God's relationship with his people. There's a beautiful picture between a husband and a wife Okay, the gospel is clearly seen there and how God loves his bride. And adultery really mars God's masterpiece. Sexual sin is a sin against man and God, and it's cool because Joseph refused. But Mrs. Potiphar refuses to take no for an answer. Check out verse 10 here, guys. Okay, she applies like full court press here, okay? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, okay? She kept pressuring him over and over again. This gal was persistent to her. Joseph was a challenge, and who knows what all she did to get attention and to try to entice him, but day and day after, she tried to allure him in, and yet, Verse 10 tells us he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. And this is impressive, guys. I'm sure Joseph was a normal, hormonal teenage boy, okay? He was tempted. In times she caught him, you know, maybe when he was tired, vulnerable, perhaps discouraged. In times when he felt like giving in, yet what did he do? He resisted. 
That's what we do, guys. We resist. And guys, I'm afraid that many believers today that are virtuous only because lack of opportunity. You see, if they were baited day after day, like Joseph was here, you know, I don't think it'd be too long until we cave in. That's why we need God's help and to realize and recognize that he is with us. And when we sin, it's not just against ourselves or with someone else. It is against God. And that's why godly convictions are good. That's why being in the word of God is a good thing. Personal integrity, we don't see much of it today, but that should be a mark of us, brother and sister, in Christ Jesus. Moral purity, do you guys know that we're called to mirror? This is the will of God in Christ for you, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That is scripture, guys. It should have no place in our lives as believers. That should be a mark of us being different. And yet we look, we have Christians today getting divorced almost as much as the world is getting divorced. What's going on? Just as many, man, I've counseled people with affairs. Really? You're a Christian and you're having an affair. It should not even be spoken of us, guys. That's why we need to stand in the truth. That's why we need to have these type of convictions. So we need to prioritize these things in our lives. And let me make one more point here. Don't believe when you hear a lie while everybody else is doing it. Have you guys heard that before? Some of you young people, well, hey, they're kissing their boyfriend, their girlfriend, away because they love each other. Everybody's doing it. Pornography, everybody's doing it. No, not everybody's doing it, okay? <laughs> we have Joseph here as an example who didn't do it. That's simply not true. Some are doing it, okay? And it could be that many are doing it, but not everybody is doing it. That is a lie, okay? And it's a lie that's being thrown out there way too much. Joseph didn't do it, and there are still Josephs today who don't do it. Rather than being like everybody else, commit to be like Joseph. You guys do that? This last weekend, I got to go with Finn up north, okay? And we got to hang out this weekend, and we went through what uh, Family Life put out this thing called Passport to Purity. How many of you guys have heard that before? It's some curriculum that's geared towards children 10 to 12, 13 years of age. And I would encourage all of you parents, go through that with your kids. Because they go and they really deal with what God has said concerning marriage and sex. And how does it look for us to be a Christian and walk in sexual purity? And I think we did six or seven different teachings together. And we really got to talk through some things this weekend, which was awesome. And there were some things my son didn't know about sex. And I'm so glad that I was there and I got to talk through those things with them. And I want to encourage you mom and dads who have little kids, be talking about sex at age-appropriate levels. <laughs> but if you're having those conversations when they're little biddies, it's not going to be awkward when you have an 11-year-old child and you take them on a father-son weekend or a mom and daughter weekend and hey you're going to have the talk you're going to get into detail you're going to talk real life why as christians we choose to do this why god's ways really are better why purity is the best choice why being a virgin is a special gift to be able to give to your spouse one day and how healthy that is and how beautiful that is in the marriage context so i want to encourage you guys okay make a point to do that with your kids Okay, if you need to borrow the curriculum, I have it. Just ask. <laughs> it's really well. Again, that's called Passport to Purity. Uh, Family Life put it out. And I know there's a lot of great things out there, but I think the Rainies do a phenomenal job uh, just walking uh, parent and son or daughter through it. Um, good stuff. So, uh, finally, after weeks here, okay, uh, and perhaps even months, we don't know how long, uh, Potiphar's wives was trying to seduce Joseph here. Uh, but Mrs. Potiphar sets a trap. Look at verse 11 with me. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were inside. So apparently she had given the servants, hey, you can have off this afternoon, that she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. Suddenly, she has Joseph alone, 
and grabs him and starts pulling off his clothes. Joseph jerks away here. He's running for his life, okay? So guys, sometimes temptation becomes so fierce, the only option is to flee, okay? Leave the premise. Remove yourself, you know, logistically from the source of the temptation, okay? I love what Paul says to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lusts. And that Greek word for flee is fugo. Can you say fugo? All right, a little better. Fugo? There we go. And the reason why I can remember that Greek word, because I always think fool, go. Okay? Flee youthful lusts. Flee. Get out of there. You guys can ask either one of my sons, and I've been saying this to them since they're little biddies. Hey, boys, when you see a naked woman, what do you do? And they will tell you, we close our eyes and we run. Okay? <laughs> we need to flee. Verse 12, but he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, see, he who brought into us a Hebrew to mock us, he came into me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice and it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So I'm, heard that, I'm sure that you guys have heard the expression hell hath no fury for a woman scorned, okay? Mrs. Potiphar has been rejected, okay? And she becomes vindictive. She claims Joseph tried to rape her and she held on to his coat as proof. And if she can't get Joseph, well, she'll get him. Verse 16 tells us, so she kept his garment with her until his master came home or her master came home. And then she spoke to him with words like these saying, the Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came and came to me to mock me. And so it happened as I lifted up my voice and I cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife had spoken to him, saying, your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. But I don't believe his anger was aroused against Joseph personally, guys. I think what happened here that he knew his wife and I'm sure he, you know, suspected her of lying. And we have no proof, but Potiphar sends Joseph to prison. Most likely, if that had really happened, Potiphar would have put Joseph to death, okay? Um, so he was not executed. Instead, Joseph is sent now uh, to prison. Potiphar gets to save some face. Look at verse 20. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. And but the Lord, we're told, was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So everywhere Joseph goes, God blesses him. I love this. And we're told the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. And the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. So the warden of the prison trusted Joseph because he was honest, because of his integrity, because the Lord was with him. Um... And whatever he did, the Lord made prosper. I love that. You guys can underline that, okay? It's just like, hey, God is prospering Joseph, even in prison. Isn't that neat? So we know that the, if we're piecing these verses together on Joseph's life here, as he served Potiphar, uh, we know at least it was a few years, maybe even a decade of faithfulness, okay? Um, and all of that goes up in smoke. Okay, hey, I served well, I was a man of integrity, I was honest, all gone. Try to put yourselves in Joseph's shoes here, all that he's going through here. All is just burned up in seconds. 
And after another betrayal, after another round of unfair treatment, Joseph could have given up. He could have gotten angry here with God. I have a hard time when people tell me they're angry with God. Okay? Now, is it wrong to feel angry? No. Okay? Is it wrong to be honest with God? Like, hey, I'm angry. This, I'm upset by this. You know, I can't believe this happened. Okay? I think it's good to be raw and real. But a person who continually stays angry with God, I don't think they've really gotten with God. I don't think they've been reasonable, logical, have truly repented. They're holding on to something, and most of the times it's just an excuse because they want to do what they want to do. They want to be angry. Some people just like being angry. You guys know that? Okay? That's not out. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Okay? And if you're angry with God, you need to get on your knees before him. Pour out your heart before him. Be real. He loves you. He is good. Okay? There's no real reason to be angry at him because he's for you. Okay? Um, and I love that Joseph didn't go there. He didn't become bitter. Okay? Um, no matter how low he goes here, guys, he has this ability to lift his eyes to the Lord, to keep looking to him. Okay? And that's one thing that's so cool. I got to do prison ministry, jail ministry, as a chaplain for five years, and I've been volunteering since then. Um, and it's so neat to see men who've been incarcerated, okay? And I just had a conversation before service started uh, with a sister in the Lord about people who are in jail, how some people actually land in jail that are not guilty. That happens every once in a while, Okay, of course everybody says they're not guilty, <laughs> you know, we have a lot of guilty people, but every once in a while there are somebody, and there was a handful of men and women, it's just like, you know what, you know, I really don't think you did what you were, you know, convicted of, you know, this is a bummer, and there were actually a couple things that came out later that they were incarcerated for quite a while, and truth came out, well, it wasn't them, it does happen, I've seen it firsthand, but I think looking at Joseph and looking at some of these brothers and sisters of ours who are incarcerated today even though they're in a really bad situation really put in a cage they're lifting their eyes to the Lord okay you might feel imprisoned right now I have to ask are you looking to the Lord have you lifted your eyes I hope so you see God's throwing him back in the fire here so what happens in the fire guys more refining some of us, I can't believe I'm going through this again. I can't believe I have this trial. I can't believe I'm in the fire yet again. Okay? I think we have fires to the day we die, guys, because God loves us enough. Whom he loves, he chastens. And I don't know about you guys, but I know I'm not purified the way God wants to purify me, and I know that we'll be refining until the day I die. Okay? And it's one of those things, guys, you know, the mark of a Christian. There's going to be some scars in our lives, you know. We'll be complete and healed one day. <laughs> but as we go through this life, we're going to have our stuff. We're going to go through it. I want to encourage you guys, allow God to refine you well, okay. I know there's some saints who are old and grumpy and bitter. I don't want, I want to season well as a child of God. How many of you guys are with me? You want to continue to grow. Some of us just get stuck. Well, it is just what it is. This is what's happened to me. You know, I can't grow past this. It's always just going to be this way. That's a lie from the pit of hell, okay? God is growing, sanctifying, maturing us, perfecting us until the day we go home to be with him. That's his plan. That's his model. That's what he does. Are we going to yield and let him do that work? I sure hope so. And that's the beauty of our church family, guys, because we get to encourage each other in that and work together in that. Um, where are we? You guys love to get, oh, all right. So, yeah, let's go to chapter 40. There's just so much, you guys. <laughs> we're moving kind of quickly. There's just a lot there, and I hope you guys are tracking along as we're going verse by verse through the body or Bible that you guys are reading ahead. Now we're going to continue on here in verse uh, chapter 40. And it came to pass after these things that the butler, now the butler was the cupbearer for the Pharaoh, okay? A personal wine tester. Ooh, sign me up. No, do not be drunk with wine. Anyways, the baker 
of the king of Egypt offended their lord and the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers and the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them into or in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison. Now who's in prison? Joseph, right? So the place where Joseph was confined and the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them and he served them so they were in custody for a while. So both the chief butler and the chief baker. Now these are strategic roles for people to have in the royal court. You see, if a king's enemy wanted to come and take his life, you guys know that poisoning the king would probably be the easiest way to do it. Hey, let's slip something in his drink. Let's put something in his food. And that's why these men, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker needed to be trusted okay and something went down that trust was broken hey i'm throwing both of you yahoos <laughs> um so this is why the butler and the baker um were men that uh the king uh could trust but these guys did something so what these two guys did to anger the king we're not actually told here in chapter 40 uh, maybe the dude burned the bagel. I have no idea. You know, maybe the other guy spilt some wine on the royal ruck. We don't know for sure. But something happened here. But I want you guys to notice as we consider this, God's providence is once more at work in these circumstances. God is up to something. Look at verse 5 with me. Then the butler and the baker, the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream. Both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. So one night, two dreams. And Joseph came in uh, to them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, we have each had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said to him, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. So Joseph's statement really is provocative. Think about this, guys. Do not interpretations belong to God? And it's true, guys. God can and he does speak to us in dreams. That doesn't mean every dream is a message from God. Okay? We all have dreams doesn't mean they're all from God. I believe dreams come from four sources, okay? Track me. They can be from God. We see that in the scriptures. They also can be from Satan, okay? They can be from your psyche. And dreams can also come from the ice cream that you ate too late last night, okay? Those four sources. So we need to be able to discern the source. Don't discount every dream, okay? When you dream, Pray for the interpretation. Why did I have this dream? Okay. I've had dreams over the years that were from God. And when I awake from that dream, the Holy Spirit comes upon me. And that's how I know, whoa, okay, this is a God thing right now. Because I've had a lot of dreams, trippy dreams, dreams that, hey, that was very detailed and very specific. Is something going on? You know? And I've learned to just leave those at the door. It's like, okay, whatever. But if the Spirit of God is upon me in such a way when I wake up, I want to pay attention to, hey, I had that dream. Now, what do I do with that dream? Okay? Well, I think we pray. <laughs> God revealed it to you for a reason. Sometimes we feel like we have to go share that with everybody else. Okay? I don't think that's the purpose unless God would say, go share that. But I've heard over the years from people, some people who have large ministries, dreams they had, and they gave the interpretation of that dream to the people, and they never came to pass. So what do you do with that? Okay? So I want to encourage you guys. God does still give us dreams. Okay? Discern where it's coming from. If it's from God, great. Start praying then. What does God want you to do as a result of that dream? Okay? Um... Yeah, as we get older, you guys know, in the <laughs> sorry, another sidetrack, but Joel, minor prophet in the Bible, speaks a lot about what's going to go on in the latter days, the last days. Old men will have dreams, okay? 
I'm expecting the whiter I get to have more and more dreams, okay? And some of you guys are going to have dreams, and some of you young guys are going to have visions, okay? That's when young guys come to me and say, hey, I'm having dreams. I'm like, you're not old enough yet. <laughs> Look at verse 9. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was though it budded. Its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And I took the grapes, and I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you hear his butler. So in three days, you're going to get your job back, is what he's saying. In the verse 14, but remember me <laughs> when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. And also, I have done nothing here that should put me into this or dungeon. So he's asking for a break. Remember me. And the baker also had a dream, guys. It says, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good... He said to Joseph, I also was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket, there were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. <laughs> it's not recorded in our text, guys, but I believe I know the baker's reaction to Joseph's interpretation here. You know, he looks up and he says, hey, can I get a second opinion? <laughs> um, I'm sure after hearing... Uh, Joe's interpretation here, this baker had a hard time uh, keeping his head on straight. <sighs> All right, I'll stop. I digress. It's so easy. <laughs> okay, here, here. Um, the summation, guys, of these two dreams, these interpretations, okay? In three days, the butler will get <clears throat> ahead, while in three days, the baker will lose his head. Okay, pretty simple. And that's what happens here. Look at verse 20. Now it came to pass on the third day, which Pharaoh's birthday. I didn't know they mentioned birthdays in the Bible. That's kind of cool. That he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up his head, and the chief butler of the chief baker among his servants, and then restored the chief butler to the butlership again, and placed a cup in Pharaoh's hand, but hanged the chief baker. And Joseph had interpreted to them. So it just happened, okay? The third day corresponded with Pharaoh's birthday. And if you read the Bible enough, guys, you're going to find that there's actually two birthdays that are mentioned in the Bible. You guys remember Salome dancing before Herod, asking for John the Baptist's head. So the two times we see birthdays in the Bible, people get beheaded. So how should we view birthdays, guys? <laughs> I just think that's funny. I don't know. I'm going to ask. It'll be fine. You guys have those questions you can't wait to get to heaven someday. Why? <laughs> that's going to be one of them. All right. And yet we're told in verse 23, guys, the chief butler did not remember Joseph but forgot him. What a bummer. So this is a tragic verse, but Joseph can't get a break here. Uh, he assumes when the butler gets promoted that he's going to pull Joseph up too. Uh, but again, his hopes get dashed here. And think about the opportunities, you know, Joseph had to get discouraged. This is just another one of them that we see. His brother shafted him, literally threw him into a pit, treated on fairly there in Potiphar's house. He was lied about by Potiphar's wife, and now he was lied to by the butler. Okay, I'm sure that he felt 
Uh, his life was a waste. What's the point? I'm just stuck here in the dungeon, headed nowhere. I'm getting nowhere fast. But all the while, God was at work positioning him perfectly for a very strategic and a very vital purpose. William Cowper put it this way, behind a frowning providence, there shines a smiling face. We'll read it again. Behind a frowning providence, there, is, or there shines a smiling face. See, Joseph doesn't see God in his life, but he is there nonetheless. God is with you guys. So, as the Jewish rabbis like to say, coincidence is not a kosher word. I agree. I'd love to start journaling coincidences in my life. How many of you guys feel like there are just way too many coincidences? You know it's God. It just here's another. It's almost daily, isn't it? Really? <laughs> really? That can't happen. That can't happen again. What are the odds? No, that's God. He's at work. And wouldn't it be cool just to journal down those things, write them down? And look, I'd encourage you guys to do that. Maybe I'll start doing that. That'd be so cool. Look at God's faithfulness. Look at what he was up to when I was down and out. When I thought this was happening, this is really what God was preparing. This is what he was doing behind the scenes. So I mentioned that not only was Joseph's life an example of providence, guys, but it also is a picture and a prophecy of Jesus. You guys remember talking about that? We looked at a couple examples. And here too, guys, the plot really thickens. Now, I want you guys to remember, Joseph was sent by his father to check on his brothers, right? Well, Jesus was sent by the father into the world to visit his Jewish brothers. Joseph found his brothers in Dothan, okay? And Dothan means law. Jesus found the Jews in that first century there steeped in the law. Joseph's brothers rejected him and wanted to kill him. Jewish leaders had the same reaction to Jesus, and they actually executed him. Joseph ends up in prison. Jesus ends up on a cross, numbered with prisoners. Joseph interacts with two jailbirds. Jesus hung on a cross with two other criminals. Joseph was accused falsely. He was punished because of someone else's sin. Jesus also innocent of any wrongdoing, and he died for the sins of this lost world. It seems Potiphar's reluctant sentence of Joseph, okay? Pilate, really don't want to, but I'm going to sentence you anyways. Joseph ends up remembered by what happens to a butler, a cupbearer, the wine tester, and a baker. Jesus, guys, each time we partake in communion, we remember him by the wine, the cup, and the bread. Joseph's salvation comes through a wine tester. Our salvation comes through what the wine represents, the blood that Jesus bore on the cross for you and I. Oh, snap. Is that not cool? Joseph's a cool picture of Christ. Anyways, there's some fascinating parallels that we get between Joseph and Jesus, and we'll see more as we keep studying. Let's get into chapter 41, and we'll wrap this up this morning. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river, and suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. They were not told in the text here, guys. Check out this slide. I believe the cows said, eat more chicken. Go to Chick-fil-A. Oh, sorry. There he is. <laughs> guys ever see that guy? Then behold, seven other cows up after them of the river, ugly and gaunt. And they stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking cows. So Pharaoh awoke. So obviously, this dream disturbed Pharaoh, okay? It caused him to have a cow. <laughs> uh, 
And if he was like me, you know, hey, get back to sleep. I need a little ice cream before bed so I can have some crazy dreams, okay? Anyways, look at verse 5, what it tells us. He slept and he dreamed a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good, and behold, seven thin heads blighted by the east sprang up after them, and seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Verse 8, now it came to pass in the morning that that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and he called for the magicians of Egypt, in all the wise men. So he calls these, you know, uh, stable soothsayers, these fortune teller types, and they asked, hey, what's the interpretation to this dream? And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one that could interpret the dreams for Pharaoh. So they all strike out, but that's when God jabs the butler's memory. Hey, you remember when you were in jail? Remember there was a guy there who was able to interpret your dream? Oh, yeah. I remember, Joe. Verse 9, then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, Hey, I remember my faults this day when Pharaoh was angry with his servant and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, and each dreamed a dream uh, in one night. He and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now... There was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted the dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream, and it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us. So it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. So after two years, the butler finally remembers he finally keeps his promise to joseph now verse 14 then pharaoh sent and called joseph and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon and he shaved and changed his clothing and came to pharaoh okay i don't know if jesus rose from the dead clean shaven but (laughs) he definitely had a change of clothes okay you guys remember when he wrote radiant the glory of god had shown Now Pharaoh said to Joseph, I dreamed a dream, and there was no one who can interpret, but I have heard it said to you that you can understand a dream and interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It's not me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. I love here the dialogue that Joseph has with the Pharaoh. Joseph refuses to take credit Hey, look how great I am. Look how spiritual I am. But neither does he back down. He holds, uh, he's very bold, he's confident here, but it's not in himself. Do you guys know that we can have confidence as believers? Okay? Oh yeah, we know us. (laughs) We know where we're weak, where we struggle. But we also know our God. And we have confidence. And hey, if God's asking me to do this, if he's sending me there, I can go. I can go in confidence. Okay, Joseph is no longer a, the haughty kid who strutted around leather jackets showing off, you know, suffering. It's okay. Is my mic out? Kinda. All right. We'll change it out if it happens again. Um, but I want to encourage you guys. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, as our brother James tells us in the scriptures. Okay? God uses suffering. God uses it. Okay? I got to talk with a brother earlier this week. Uh, We had a handful of people who ended up with COVID as a result of our men's retreat. Okay? And some have gotten through it. Okay? It's ugly. (laughs) Some are still having issues. I was talking with a brother messaging back and forth uh, this weekend and just how God uses hardships, okay, not knowing. I recall I had COVID over a year ago, okay. I ended up with long hauler heart issues for almost eight months as a result of it. It's just like another thing to go through. And there were many times, not just once or twice, many times where I really thought, God, is this it? Am I dying tonight? Are you taking, uh, it was one of those things in the face of death. You get that sick, okay, can't catch your breath, you're feeling like you're having crazy heart attacks, 
okay? And it's just side stuff to having COVID that you actually do some prioritizing. <laughs> There's a reality check. What really matters? And I think that's one of the things suffering does in our lives when we go through things. We're, re, we're able to recalibrate, okay? What's actually, you know, mattering in life right now? What should I be giving myself to? And I hope that we're doing that on a regular basis as believers, that we're continually checking in, like, Lord, what's up? What are you up to? Because I want to be on the same page with you. <laughs> I want to be in step with you. I want to be following you well. And even though this might be a good thing, you guys know a good thing isn't always the best thing. God's thing is always the best thing. And I want to encourage you guys, be very purposeful in what you give yourself to. It's easy to say yes to things, especially if you're like me. How many of you guys have a hard time saying no to others, okay? Sometimes we need to say no in order to say yes to God's thing. So be open, allow circumstances, suffering to refine you in such ways, you know. And brother, if you're watching or you other guys who are going through it, um, God's going to use it. God's going to use it. Um, yeah, we don't have time. Nope. I got to share. Okay. <laughs> um, another, you know, I get together with some brothers that I so love, nine other pastors every Tuesday morning to pray. Um, and there's a family we've been praying for. They got hit with COVID. And this young gal, Grace, I got to meet her about a year ago. Uh, she was actually telling me about her birthday. Uh, she's got Down syndrome, but so loves the Lord. Um, and when I was guest speaking at the church there, uh, they have an open time of prayer, which I think is really cool. They were taking prayer time and praying. And her prayer request was that her sister would come to know Jesus and get saved. Well, Grace passed this last week from COVID. She went home to be with Jesus. Um, and her, her sister, through it, was able to reconcile right before Grace passed. They were able to actually connect and reconcile uh, that that relationship was mended. And the really cool thing is because it, this family had a lot of tragedy beforehand. Okay, this is a hard thing. We just lost a sister. We lost a daughter. Um, but they had an accident. There were twins, if I got the story right, uh, older siblings. And the brother died in the car accident. And this was the sister who got angry with God. Forsake the family, stepped away. But as a result of all of this, okay, uh, God has done a neat work because the sister has now reconciled with mom and dad too and has asked for forgiveness. And I'm getting back right with the Lord. I'm going to start going to church. It was so cool from what I heard from uh, Pastor Levi is that Grace had been praying for just over two years every day for her sister to come to Christ. It was through a tragedy like this that God worked it, you know. So it's one of those things, guys. We don't always know what God's up to. And let me tell you what. Didn't we just look at last week the heart of our brother Paul? Hey, if it meant that my countrymen, my brothers and sisters here could come to salvation, I'd give up my own salvation. I'd give up my life, you know. And I, I think a lot of us are probably in that same place. Whatever it takes, Lord. Whatever it takes, save them and get through to them, you know. And God refines us and he grows us. So I don't know why I shared that story. I just want to let you guys know that God uses really hard things sometimes for the good, eternal purposes. Because sometimes we get so tripped up on the temporal, the here and now. We want the fix right now. Well, what is God up to? What's the long game? What's he going to do? All right, let's get back to this, wrapping it up. Verse 17, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, my dream, I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then seven, or then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness that I've never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and the ugly cows ate up the first seven the fat cows. And when they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. Also, I saw my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up 
on one stalk, full and good. And then behold, seven heads withered thin and blightened by the east wind sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, these are the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown you, Pharaoh, what he is about to do. The seven good cows and the seven years and the seven good heads and the seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after there are seven years. And the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout the land of Egypt. But after then, seven years of famine will arise. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine will be depleted or it will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following. For it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because of the thing is established by God. And God will shortly bring it to pass. So these two dreams, guys, have one interpretation. Seven years of abundance, Egypt's going to have, and then there's going to be seven years followed by famine. Joseph goes beyond offering just an interpretation here. He actually gives Pharaoh some advice. Hey, we know this is going to happen. Why don't we do this? So the Egyptians believed, guys, that Pharaoh was a reincarnation of the sun god, okay, Ra. Okay, in the minds of the court, here a slave is daring to tell God what to do. You guys kind of have the picture of what Joseph's doing here before Pharaoh. Okay? But Joseph wasn't afraid to represent God, to speak for God. He purposes his plan of national rationing. And then in verse 33, now Pharaoh let, or sorry, now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect, collect one-fifth of the produce of the land in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So perhaps here, guys, Joseph could have just held his breath, but how would Pharaoh react to this bold advice? Well, verse 37, so the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all the servants. So in fact, guys, we're actually told here in verse 38 that Pharaoh was impressed he said to his servants, can we find such a one as this? A man who is, or in whom is the Spirit of God. Wow. Guys, this is the first time that we find in the Bible where it speaks of the Spirit of the Holy God, the Holy Spirit indwelt in a human being. Pretty cool, huh? And the observation is made by who? A pagan king. Hey, the Spirit of God is in you. <laughs> Isn't that pretty cool? So it was obvious even to this godless Pharaoh, there was something supernatural about Joseph. And the same is said of you when you're filled with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. It becomes obvious to everybody that's around you. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you know it. Okay, And you need not to acquaint anybody else with that fact. Okay, you will soon be acquainting them with the reality of the Holy Spirit. Okay, you're going to have a boldness. Guys, remember, you will be endowed with power from on high to be what? Witnesses. Okay, hey, there's something different about you. <laughs> yeah, it's Jesus Christ in me. There's a hope, there's glory, there is a God. Then Pharaoh, we're told here, said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and as wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. So Joseph, yes, he was just where? In prison. <laughs> He's now second ruler in all the world. 
<laughs> this is radical. Verse 41, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and he put it in Joseph's hand and he put clothed him with garments of fine linen and put gold chain around his neck and he had him ride in the second chariot which he had and they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And here what really defines the scope of Joseph's authority. Without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Wow. Overnight, guys, Joseph goes from the pit to the pinnacle. Wow. This is incredible. He came to Egypt in iron chains, okay, around his feet, around his arms, around his neck. Okay, now his neck's adorned with a gold chain. What a turnaround, guys. We can say Joseph is the comeback player of the year, okay? This is unreal. Joseph was 17 when he was lifted from the pit and he was taken to Egypt. He is now 30 when he reached the palace. So 13 years long, long and difficult, okay? Difficult and troubling years for Joseph, some of us, man, been into our trial for 13 minutes. I'm ready to give up. I can't do this. 13 days? Man, a couple weeks of this? Really, God? Man, it's been over a year, 13 months of this going on. When is it going to change? And are you guys going to keep lifting up your eyes 13 years later? I hope so. What is God up to? Guys, I sure, I'm sure there are Many paths that could, God could have taken Joseph on, okay, from Cana to Egypt. But he was doing this, okay, his way and his purposes and his timing, okay. He made the man. So the circumstances here for Joseph went, you know, caused him really to understand God's privileges don't justify pompous attitude and that promotion from God and its result of really his great. Grace, it's all of his grace. It's his greatness that is doing this. So guys, while in the pit, God makes his point. You may be in the pit right now. God is making a point. Verse 45 tells us, And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphna-Paneah, which means in Egyptian, catch this, guys, Savior of the world. And gave him a wife, Asana, the daughter of Patai uh, Pharaoh, priest of An. So she was an Egyptian or a Gentile bride. And guess again who journeys parallels Joseph's life. Okay. Jesus was also raised from the pit, clothed with glory and honor, and exalted at the right hand of God. And notice, guys what they said to Joseph while he was riding in the chariot. Bow the knee. Did you guys catch that? Bow the every knee shall bow and confess Jesus is Lord, guys. So notice Joseph receives this Egyptian name, Zaphanath, Pania, which means Savior of the world, and there's no better name for Jesus than that, guys. In verse 50 here, after his promotion, Joseph receives this uh, Gentile bride, and that's exactly what happens to Jesus. He receives a Gentile bride, and that's the church. Verse 45, so Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up every city, the food of the fields which surrounded them. And Joseph gathered very much grain in the, as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was without number. So he really managed this great harvest well, which is also what Jesus is doing today, guys. Okay, a harvest of souls is under 
way. And the harvest will be followed by seven years of famine called the Great Tribulation. Do you guys know there's a time coming? Seven years, the Great Tribulation. And right now, the harvest is white, okay? It is plentiful. People need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's wrap this up. In Joseph, we're born two sons before the year of the famine came, whom Antsnath, the daughter of Padai Phira, priest of On, bore him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. That ringing a bell, guys? For God has made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. Wow. And the name of the second was Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Wow. Okay. Every time he called on his boys, he would remember what those names mean. And then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended and the seven years of famine began to come. And Joseph, as Joseph had said, the famine was in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine began severe in the land of Egypt. And now catch verse 57, guys. It sets up amazing events to follow. It says, so... All countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in the lands. So among those who journeyed to Egypt for bread is a family living in Canaan, a father named Israel who has 11 sons. And the rest of Genesis, guys, describes how Joseph treats his brothers when they meet again. So stay tuned. It's going to be cool. 